Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and today we're going to be talking about the spring equinox and the sun moving into the first decan of Aries. So happy spring, everyone. You made it. You made it through the, uh, the winter, and uh, here we are in the season of birth, of growth. Uh, the fire has returned, um, and uh, <laughs> we're hopefully going to be able to move forward with some of the things that have been brewing underneath the surface and push through like little seedlings up into the world and uh, start the growth process. So hope you're all doing well out there. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the square between the moon and the sun. Uh, Venus is Kazemi with the sun on the 26th of March. Uh, and then, you know, briefly touch on the full moon on the 28th of March. We're going to break down some of the symbolism associated with the Two of Wands, which is the tarot card that is uh, syncretized with this Deccan of Aries. We're going to talk a little bit about the Golden Fleece and about the Sun and Mars in general. So let's take a look at, actually, before I do that, I wanted to read to you some of the significations of the Sun and Mars from this beautiful book that I've been leaning on quite heavily, The Classical Seven Planets by Charles Obert. And we're going to look at Vettius Valens today. So Vettius Valens is one of the ancient authors that Mr. Obert compiled into this very handy compendium. And we're going to read what Valens has to say about the sun and about Mars, because Mars is the host of the sun now. We've moved from the sun being in a Jupiter temple to one uh, ruled by Mars. So a very different, very different energy. So let's break it down. So on page 96, where uh, Mr. Obert is referencing Vedius Valens, he says, the sun in a nativity, the, the all-seeing sun, nature's fire and intellectual light, the organ of mental perception, indicates kingship, rule, intellect, intelligence, beauty, motion, loftiness of fortune, the ordinance of the gods, judgment, public reputation, action, authority over the masses, the father, the master, friendship, noble personages, honor consisting of pictures, statues, garlands, and high priesthoods. It rules over one's country and over other places. Okay, so we've got uh, some interesting things about the sun as being an intellectual light, about being the source of life, vitality, and awareness. So that is something to consider. Uh, Robert Schmidt calls the sun the principle of selection. So saying, this is what I am. And, you know, in turn, that rejects what we are not. And that's going to be part of what Mars is going to do here in Aries. So Valens says about Mars, Mars indicates force, wars, plunderings, screams, violence, whoring, the loss of property, banishment, exile, alienation from parents. That's key because that's going to come up a lot in our Aries stories. Capture, the death of wives, abortions, love affairs, marriages, the loss of goods, lies, vain hopes, strong-armed robbery, banditry, looting, quarrels among friends, anger, fighting, verbal abuse, hatreds, and lawsuits. Doesn't sound too fun. <laughs> but Schmidt calls uh, Mars the principle of severing and separating. Okay, so its essential nature is to want to separate that which has been together, 
Okay. So we can think of, uh, if we combine these things, we have just seen the sun, the principle of selection, awareness, intellectual light, moving through that unified field that Jupiter wanted to create in its nocturnal domicile of Pisces. So we, had, we were basically in the cosmic womb. We were returning to oneness. We were trying to find an animating principle and an ordering spirit. Now that we've gone through that, um, that hibernation phase, we've maybe found something that a purpose. And now we are taking the uh, action, Mars, necessary to separate ourselves from the, in, the cosmic oneness and individuate as an individual point of consciousness. And sometimes that requires uh, rejecting the, the old order, the old king, the old father, the old parent principle, severing and separating like we do with when a baby is born uh, with cutting the umbilical cord. This is something that came up in Austin Coppock's 36 Faces when he talked about Aries 1 is the cutting of the umbilical cord. Um, kind of the, he also talked about cellular mitosis, splitting from one cell into two as we are trying to grow into a fully functional being. Uh, he calls this decan the axe, okay? So we've got a, a, a cutting instrument, uh, sort of like Mars associated with this decan. The sun is going to be in its exaltation, though. That's really interesting because the sun is sort of at the height of its power. So I want to look at the chart with you so we can look at the planetary condition. So the time frame we're looking at is March 20th, uh, Saturday, March 20th, which I'm recording this at, at 5.37 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, the sun is going to ingress into Aries. We call that the Aries ingress or the beginning of spring. A lot of times traditional astrologers would look at the chart of the moment when Aries moved into or when the sun moved into Aries uh, to speak to some of the mundane astrology that would uh, befall a particular area. So here we're seeing it from my hometown of Ypsilanti, Michigan with a, a, an Aquarius rising excuse me, the sun in the first or in the third house and uh, sextiles being made from Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars, respectively from, from Aquarius and to Gemini to the Aries sun. So um, this is a really interesting time frame, and we're going to be seeing the sun moving through these first 10 degrees up until March 30th at 7.55 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So we'll take a look at what's being... Uh, what is co-present with the sun over the course of this period. But what we are looking at here is uh, sextiles between Jupiter and Saturn and Mars. So beneficial aspects between the sun now and these planets that have been either in square to, to the Pisces planets or in aversion to these outer planets. So this is really the time frame where we're going to start to see the rubber meet the road. This is when action is going to start taking place. We've been thinking about what our purpose is over the course of the winter. We've been reflecting on the past so that we can create our future uh, and we can bring with us that which we need to carry forward that is eternal into the future and leave behind that which has left outlived its, its efficacy or return it to the earth. Um, so 
this is really a, a time frame where we're going to see the sprout really break through, uh, break through the ground. Um, and we see that during the spring where there's a lot of yang energy that needs to take place to, to, to spring forth, right? Uh, it is not always easy for that little seed to, to break through the old crusty ground uh, or to usurp the father, in, in, if we're thinking about it in mythological terms, to establish itself as this new independent individual point of consciousness that has emerged from the womb of the earth itself. It takes a lot of energy. Uh, it takes a lot of um, determination and force. And it is, is through being the heat that is created from the sun, creating this vital uh, fecundity in the earth, like Austin Kopic likes to say, to bring, to kind of give the signal to the seed to be like, okay, it's time to grow now. And we may be getting that signal now that the, that the sun is returning to prominence, it re has returned to power. The spring equinox is a point in time where we have equal daylight, uh, but we are seeing the return of the dominance of the day. So this is one of the reasons we can think of the sun as exalted because it, the sun is returning to its power. Uh, the sun is actually reaches its maximum degree of exaltation at about 19 degrees of Aries. So we are still climbing to that point. Um, the sun also has dignity by triplicity in the daytime as well. So we may also be experiencing some communal support for the, uh, for the endeavors that we want to undertake uh, for our individuation process, we may have a lot of cheerleaders around us right now saying, yeah, go for it. It's time for you to leave the nest. Uh, you know, like you've been, you know, preparing for this moment for a long time. Uh, go forth, prosper. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of those moments that we may be seeing uh, coming in, in the, the near future. Uh, of course, the host of, of the sun is going to be Mars in Gemini. So as we move forward with our independent initiatives, we may be faced with a lot of choices. We may be faced with a lot of uh, directions we could go. And part of Mars's job right now is to kind of cut through all of the noise and figure out what is worth pursuing and what we need to, to let go of. Okay. Um, and since there is a sextile between these two planets right now, it, they are harmoniously working within, uh, you know, union with one another, right? They are uh, communicating with one another in a harmonious fashion is what I meant to say. So by eliminating distractions, by eliminating that which uh, is no longer of service to you or is no longer uh, a direction that you wish to go in your life, you are simultaneously choosing what you want to pour your energy or your animating enthusiasm and spirit into. We're always making choices in life. We're always, uh, whenever we're choosing a new direction, we're, we're subsequently choosing to reject the other paths. That doesn't mean we're rejecting those paths permanently. One of the things I've said recently is uh, just because we are choosing a path in the moment, and that is the right answer for us right now, does not mean that it will always be the right answer and, and the methodology that we use will always be the right method. Uh, we have to be flexible. You know, that little seedling is flexible as it comes out of the earth. It, it finds a winding path sometimes to be able to go around some of the rocks um, in, in the soil, right? If, if there is a rock in the path 
uh, of that seedling's upward mobility, it just kind of goes around it. You know, if it was just trying to push through it, it might not make it. So at, at these very beginning stages of growth and of life, we have to remain flexible. We have to remain focused on what we are trying to achieve. And um, we need to sometimes allow for support too. I think that's part of some of the, the messaging of the sextiles that we are experiencing here. Okay, the face rulers for Aries 1 are, it's a double Mars decan. So we are, all systems go with Mars energy here. The sun is in the, the, the temple of Mars. We're in a Mars world face. Uh, we are, you know, we're fighting for our independence at this point. You know, and it doesn't have to be necessarily that you always have to, you know, get into a, a, a knockdown smash, smash it up like conflict with people to assert who you are. Uh, that is certainly a possibility. But I think that part of the essence of Aries also is that just because you're, you are trying to assert who you are, uh, I think that a lot, the, the, a lot of the things that we try to think is that we have to automatically like tear down other people's viewpoints. And that may just, you know, be inherent in the path. Sometimes when we forcefully make a choice, other people can not necessarily always understand that choice and can feel that if our choice doesn't agree with, with their choice, that is, it's a threat to their identity, which I don't think always has to be the case. It may feel like that when we're asserting our own individual unique, uh, excuse me, identity. But I think that one of the ways to navigate Aries season gracefully is to pursue your path, to be as flexible as you can, to take into account that other people are going to want to be, you know, pursuing their own individual needs, desires, and pathways and belief systems in uh, concert with with you, and um, recognize that everybody's path doesn't have to be the same. I think that's really the key. Is uh, we don't necessarily have to make someone else wrong because we've chosen a certain uh, a certain right in the moment. Because eventually you might come back around and circle back around to someone else's viewpoint. That that happens all the time. I I always say I reserve the right to be wrong, and that is a beautiful thing because then you are moving and experimenting, but with humility. Right? Um, you're not being so afraid of making a mistake that you won't um, admit that mistake and double down in your position. A lot of times we do that. We, some, some of us are explorers. And if you take that energy of exploration, you have to be willing to make a mistake and you have to be willing to admit you're wrong because in, in any exploration, you may, you may find that the path that you've chosen is a dead end. And that's, that is definitely, uh, something we experience as human beings. But the, I think the wisdom really comes in knowing when to make an adjustment and knowing when, when the path that we're pursuing is a dead end and to be able to choose a new path. That's where the humility comes in. And a lot of the ills of, of humanity where we really get into conflicts is when we pursue our chosen path that has been shown by experience to be either a dead end or detrimental or to be harmful to others when we choose to pursue that, even when we've been shown by experience that it is no longer viable. That's when we really get into uh, some moralistic 
uh, challenges. So just be, be aware that that is a possibility when you are pursuing your path, be flexible, you know, take into account other people's opinions, but don't, don't let their opinions derail you from uh, what you need to establish for your own life. You know, be self-aware enough to understand whether you are hurting other people by asserting your own independence. Uh, and if their complaints are actually valid, you know, or are the, the, the complaints of the people around you just a reflection of, you know, maybe some insecurity about their own path? I think that that is a possibility as well. A lot of times, very prominent Aries placement people will get pushback from people because people want to keep, uh, generally, they want to organize their worlds in a predictable fashion. And when you have people that are consistently pushing the boundaries of exploration and are, and are pioneering something new, that can you know be feel like a threat to the people that uh, are experiencing um, maybe a shakeup of their expectations for who and what category they put you in, and that can feel uh, a little bit nerve-wracking for people. We always kind of, uh, human beings want reliable, stable things for the most part. And just part of your growth in general could be making people feel that, uh, you know, it could just, it could just make people feel a little bit unstable as far as, as what they thought of you. And that's okay. But you don't have to let it derail you from your, from your mission. I think that's the thing. I think part of that Aries martial fire is, you know, you got to focus. You want to create and establish a new territory for yourself that is not part of the old parental uh, establishment. You're going to have to weather some of that, maybe even some of that disapproval. You're going to have to weather some of the uh, fear of the unknown as you establish your new territory. This two of wands that we were talking about is called dominion in book T and book of Toth. And that, I looked up that word. I was, because uh, that's an interesting word. What does dominion mean? What are we talking about when we talk about dominion? Well, dominion was a, an, a, an old term that they used uh, in previous centuries and, and most recently in the early 20th century to define uh, that which is mastered or ruled. We can also think of dominion as a self-governing colony of the British Empire. Isn't that interesting, right? Dominion status was granted to uh, different countries by the mother country, in this case, Britain, um, to allow for them to self-govern but still be loyal to the, to the queen or, or to the, the mother country. And, you know, examples of countries that were granted dominion status over the course of the last 100 years or so, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Newfoundland, South Africa, um, so in this, in this card, this dominion card, we do see a figure that is holding a globe and looking out on the empire and thinking about how they want to expand, uh, you know, how they want to maybe govern and be self-governed. Um, there's a lot of ideas that are coming with this red hat that we see on this figure too, this, this passionate intellect as well. Um, a lot of the literature I've been reading about Aries uh, 
and Liz Green in particular talks about Aries placements really having to do with uh, uh, being aggressively intellectual because Aries rules the head rather than than um, physically combative. And I have found that to be true. It's not that you don't want to you know, discount the ability for an Aries type person to be physical, um, but you shouldn't underestimate their intellect. Some of the most uh, in- interesting uh, intellectual pioneers of our time have had prominent Aries placements. One I can think of is Joseph Campbell, who was an Aries son, who was a, a pioneer of intellectual thought about mythology and the monomyth and things of that nature, and, and many others over the course and history of time. All right, so what I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to read to you, actually, before I get to that, the diamond or spirit associated with Aries 1 is Adonius. Adonius is a stand-in for Hades. Uh, in my research of looking up this diamond or this spirit, uh, it came up over and over again that this was another name for Hades. Um, there were some stories where they talked about Adonius as being a mythological king of the Molisseans in Epirus, okay? Epirus, Epirus is the word. Um, but they did, most of those stories talked about Adonius being the husband of Persephone, much like uh, Hades, and talked about uh, taking Persephone by force, right? So this is another thing where we're forcefully taking something, this young energy. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the story of Hades, he would erupt from the ground like <laughs> like like a little seedling, uh, but it, you know, and he would like you know take what he wanted, right? So you could think of this seedling erupting in this young fashion and breaking open the earth and taking in all the resources, taking in the vitality of the sunlight, taking in the the nutrients. Uh, the you know the the water, the nutrients that were in the soil, pulling all these things together. Um, so that does seem like an appropriate spirit for this daimon, um, a, a, a god that literally could erupt unexpectedly from from the earth. Okay. So we can also look to the story of the golden fleece. So this is another book that I really like. It's important to name your sources: Astrology of Fate by Liz Green. And in her book, on page 177, she says thus, When the Greeks came to weave their magical mythic tales around the constellations which they inherited from Babylon and Egypt, they wove about the image of the ram the story of the supernatural ram sent by Zeus, which saved Phrixus and Helen, Hele the, from their wicked stepmother and carried them on its back towards Colchis. Hele fell off and drowned in the sea, which was named Hellespont after her. But Phrixus managed to arrive intact at Colchis and came under the protection of King Aetes, himself a magician and a son of the solar god Helios. Phrixus sacrificed the ram and hung its fleece in a sacred grove guarded by a dragon, where it turned to gold. And it was this same golden fleece which Jason and his crew of Argonauts sought through many dangers. The fleece was sacred to Zeus, and once again we are presented with this unlooked-for connection between Ares and the fiery king of the gods. This golden fleece and Jason's quest for it seem to portray the theme of slaying of the old father and the quest for individual spiritual identity, which I feel to be at the core of the drama of Ares the Ram. So she goes on to talk about many different 
elements of a terrible, quote unquote, terrible father, the archetype of the terrible father, and trying to overthrow this old king or this old father to establish a, an individual, an individuality or an individual domain. Okay, so we are seeing um, Hades was actually one of the children of Kronos, the old king. And one of the things that I thought about as I was meditating on Aries one was, you know, when we see the exaltation of the sun and the dominion of Mars, we also see the fall of Saturn. Okay. This is where Saturn is depressed. It's at its lowest point. So think about that Kronos myth where, you know, his children are, are literally overthrowing him. Jupiter, his son, is overthrowing him and, you know, liberating uh, his siblings, Hades being one, from the belly of, of Kronos. So we are overthrowing old boundaries. We're overthrowing established uh, you know, blueprints to establish something new. So it would make sense on some level that Saturn is depressed or in its fall as we are, you know, moving through a domicile that is uh, associated with establishing new pioneering spirit and overthrowing the old order like Kronos. Um, so that is something to consider as we, as we explore Aries as well. Remember, Saturn or Kronos is exalted in, in Libra, the sign of balance, the sign of restoring right proportion and order. So Saturn also may not function very well in, in an area of the zodiac that has to do with individuation, right? With, with a very subjective, individualistic viewpoint. Okay, another thing to consider. All right, so that's kind of what I had with some of those notes. So what I would like to do now is just take you through a little bit of a journey of what we may be experiencing throughout this 10 degree motion of the sun. So on the first day today, spring equinox, the sun does make a conjunction with a fixed star called Skiat. That's the pronunciation I've settled on with that. Skiat, which is a, a fixed star in Pegasus. At zero degrees of Aries, it is now processed into Aries after spending uh, quite a bit of time in, in Pisces. And this was associated with a headstrong, independent type of thinking. Um, you know, it is associated with Pegasus. Uh, Bernadette Brady talks about, you know, independent thinking without regard to the opinions of others. Doesn't that sound very uh, Aries 1, right? Where we're trying to establish a new independent identity. So that's what we're experiencing here as we, you know, get in touch with the Aries ingress. Now, very shortly after, we are going to see in the day ahead a square between the sun and the moon. Okay, so on the next day, on the 21st, just as the moon moves into Cancer, then we have our first quarter moon phase, right? So what is happening at our first quarter moon square? Well, we had a new moon here in Pisces 3, where we were 
trying to figure out what, what was worth sacrificing for, what animating principle we are willing to give up something and to, to bring into fruition from the, the depths of our imagination. And now we're testing that out and trying to bring it to life. And through asserting an individual point of consciousness, it may put some tension and some stress on our relationships, on previous sources of nourishment. I think that's one of the things that we see with, with uh, Cancer One. Here we see Cancer One as the Two of Cups, where two people are exchanging you know, cups and goodwill, union, partnership. Austin Kopic talks a lot about the sources of nurturing in this decan. So in our, in our uh, enthusiasm to establish ourselves as a new private uh, independent entity, we may have to cut some ties with some sources of nourishment that we have relied upon for a long period of time. So there, there may be some tension, there may be some sadness, there may be this need to leave, leave the nest type of energy, to leave uh, what once brought us life. And that's just natural. That's just part of the process. Um, I think we can mourn our losses. And we don't necessarily have to, like I said, we don't have to burn bridges along the way. I think that's really important. Um, that is something that I think you know, is really important moving forward in Aries season is just because you are establishing a new identity doesn't mean you have to completely tear down that which you are leaving behind. Sometimes we can just acknowledge that it's time for us to go. That's, that's just part of accepting the moment that we're in. You know, just, just as uh, a conscious uncoupling can happen, um, you know, a teenager can leave the nest or leave the home without, you know, destroying the family home, if there is communication, if there is an understanding, if there is flexibility on the part both of the parent and of the child or the, the newfound uh, young adult, it all starts with communication. It all starts with flexibility and understanding between the two. A lot of the mistakes that we make and a lot of the hurt comes from making assumptions uh, when we are in moments of transition. And I think that's the key. Those four agreements, man, are really the, the most important way to navigate this time frame gracefully. Ask questions. Uh, don't make assumptions that, you know, somebody's independent action is necessarily a, a reflection on who you are. We both play the roles of the upstart and the old parent in our life. We, we all play those roles at various times. So look at your life and try to understand, are you the person that's trying to establish new territory? Or are you the restrictive parent that is uh, afraid of, of your little children leaving the nest? And think about that, you know, reflect on that. Because again, we can play both roles simultaneously. Um, it's really fascinating how we can play multiple mythological archetypal roles uh, in different situations in our life. And um, I think that really helps us to have empathy for both positions, right? Sometimes it's hard to, to watch your little, your little fledglings, you know, start to fly 
it, there's something scary about that and there's something bittersweet. And uh, I think that uh, there's also a great pride that comes with knowing that you have provided enough for your fledgling child that they are able to fly, that they are able to use that wisdom that you have passed on to them to create their own dominion. That should be the ultimate compliment if we are playing that paternal fatherly role in other people's lives. And I think along that road, that's when we have to let go with faith and with grace, right? And same thing with if you're leaving the nest, you don't have to, to uh, try to outdo the father or anything like that. You can just establish your own territory. You know, that's the, that's the key. All right. Um, let's move forward to the uh, 26th. This is Friday, March 26th. And this is a point in the cycle where we are seeing Venus uh, has now entered into a conjunction with the sun. So if we back up a few days, Venus is actually moving into Aries right the day after the sun, Sunday the 21st. So now we're seeing the Kazemi moment, the superior conjunction between Venus and the sun, which is a sort of rebirth of Venus. Um, I would consider this from my understanding to be almost like a full moon phase for Venus though. Uh, I think that the inferior conjunction the retrograde conjunction between Mercury and between Venus and the sun, those inferior planets can serve as the beginning of the cycle. This I'm just basing this on some of Demetra George's thoughts on this. There are probably different uh, ways of thinking about this, but I think that this may be a, a real check-in point, right? Where Venus is now going to become the evening star. It's going to rise after the sun and this may be a point where Venus is a little bit more comfortable as the evening star because she is of the night sect and she is able to create harmony eventually. Uh, now, the challenge of this is Venus is going to be in a, in, a, in a house that she's not super comfortable with. She's in her exile. Her domicile is, is uh, Libra, okay, also Taurus. And when she's in a Mars-ruled sign, she's maybe trying to create harmony through you know, independence through doing it herself and saying, I don't need cooperation. I want to do it myself. I'm attracted to that individual spirit, that pioneering spirit. And sometimes we can pursue that which we need to allow to come to us. So this may be a point in the cycle where we may really be trying to create harmony in our life uh, by pursuing it in an aggressive fashion. And that can be a little sticky. So Remember, Venus really functions at her best by allowing things to come to her. Excuse me. All right, so don't force the issue around this period of time. As we continue to move forward in, our, in a decanic cycle, we will eventually get to the 28th of March, where we will be seeing a full moon between the sun and the moon. So at eight degrees of Libra, we have an opposition between the sun and the moon. And this is where we're trying to reconcile opposites. You know, we're trying to hold opposites. Oppositions are of the nature of Saturn. If we look in the theme of Mundi, Saturn and the lights are opposite in opposite domiciles. Um, and the moon is going to be on a fixed star called Diadem. Okay, Diadem is interesting because it is associated with 
Bernices, uh, which who was a queen. She was the wife of a pharaoh in ancient Egypt. And she sacrificed her hair, a symbol of her femininity, to, to Aphrodite for the safe return of her husband from battle. So really, I think what we're going to be experiencing here is the need to compromise, to maybe make a sacrifice to our community for our communal efforts to be able to establish our individuality as well. This is where, you know, a lot of times the what we are fighting for may be motivated by some higher principle. Maybe some, it may not be motivated by just some individual purpose. It may be for our, our collective good as well. I know that recently I've been uh, espousing the the virtues or my perceived virtues of uh, putting your work out there without um, without a paywall, and you know making your work available to as many people as possible, um, if it is a non-rivalrous good. Now we we I, I should make a video on this to really explain my position on this in more depth, and I think I will. That's something that I've been thinking about because I think there's a lot of confusion with this, uh, especially when I've been talking about donation models versus membership models and things like that. Uh, I want to give a disclaimer that when I talk about membership models and rival risk goods, we're talking about things that lose value if more people consume them. And this includes your, your time. Uh, so like dedicated time is something that I believe in charging money for because it will lose value the more people that, that have access to your time. But a thing like a video like this, the more people that consume this, the greater in value it will be. It doesn't lose any value by more people consuming it, hence it being non-rivalrous. And in a new economic model that I am studying that is more egalitarian, that is hopefully moving away from some of this late stage capitalist uh, corruption, uh, has a model that is more embracing open source knowledge where ideas gain value the more that they are shared with people. I really believe that. Really believe that our ideas should be shared freely. That's the way culture moves. And again, I'll explain this more in another video, but that I'm using that as an example of something that I feel very passionate about that is, you know, something where I'm establishing my viewpoint on this that may be hopefully in service of a collective movement of greater balance and uh, fairness for everyone. So I could see that eventually over the course of the next decanic movement of the sun in this full moon, in my own journey, uh, this could be coming to a head with hopefully maybe a video explaining my viewpoint of rivalrous versus non-rivalrous goods and creating a new equitable economy. And by maybe pioneering that and setting an example for doing it the way that I feel is in integrity with my belief system, hopefully I will be making a sacrifice to Aphrodite or whoever to be able to show the way for something that will bring balance to our collective. And it is sort of a sacrifice because Sometimes when everybody isn't following that model, you may be giving up some opportunities to create income. And, you know, uh, 
when everybody isn't following that model, you know, maybe like, well, why am I having to sacrifice? Well, maybe because it's the, you know, because somebody's got to do it and somebody's got to show that this is a viable model for us to, to work through as a community that will eventually show that we can create an economic model based on abundance thinking rather than scarcity thinking. I think that's the key. And again, I'll, I'll make a, a, I plan on making an individual video to show the, the, the virtues of this. And uh, maybe we can all have some healthy debate about it. I've already been having some healthy debate in some various circles that I run in about this. And it is, um, it is invigorating. Uh, it's also, you know, you have to tread lightly because you have friendships that you want to maintain. And I think that the other key is that we can, we can debate a philosophical viewpoint without it having to be a reflection on someone's personal character, right? On someone's personal uh, individuality. And I think that that's important as we move through this Aries cycle as well as just because someone has a different viewpoint than you does not mean that they are completely invalidating your existence. Okay. I want you to remember that as we move forward through this full moon cycle. Okay. Okay. So yeah, just really, there is actually, as I'm speaking on this, there is an open source conference that's going on that is uh, really, um, it's a bunch of people who are very bright minds. Uh, and there, a lot of the, these people are out in Massachusetts near MIT and Harvard, and they're discussing a lot of like um, software, open source software type of issues, but it really, it really can be uh, applied to intellectual property and to ideas and to all of these things that we're teaching here. And again, the model that I've chosen at this moment in time, again, I reserve the right to change my mind, is a donation model where I'm giving the, this information most, you know, out for free. And I'm choosing to allow people to donate to that. Now, I still charge for my readings, which is, you know, it is something that would lose value if there were a you know, 10 people in the reading versus one, I would still charge for a class that I was offering because there will be less attention that I could give to each individual student. And, uh, but I'm, I don't, I don't charge for these videos and put these things out there. The more people that watch this, the more these ideas can grow and people can build off of these ideas. I do think it's important for people to build off of these ideas. So if you're out there in the world and you want to make a video based on uh, the ideas that you see in this video, I want you to do that. I want you to learn from this stuff and use it in your own work. And uh, one of the models that they have is, is called attribution for Creative Commons licensing. So one of the things that I love to do and that I really believe in is citing my sources. And that is a way that you can build an, on ideas while still uh, giving credit to the, the places where you've learned these things. And that's why when I show you a book, I'm like, I'm, I'm in so much debt to these authors, to my teachers, to anyone who has inspired me along the way. And that's the way I think that we can share these ideas without losing our sense of individuality and you know, fe not feeling that we're just getting subsumed into this collective sea of data and information. It's just acknowledging each other's individuality without having to uh, feel territorial about it and without having to feel like we are, we have ownership of the ideas because we don't, 
these are these are a lot of these are universal ideals. So when you are establishing your your new dominion, your new territory, uh, you know, acknowledge those that have come before you. Show us your books. You know, show me your book stack. You know, I I, I know a lot of the people who listen to this channel uh, have said, "I love this book that you you know turned me on to," and you know what? It's like fire. I learned it. I learned about a book from someone else, and I was like, "Ah, oh, just this book is wonderful. I want more. The more people that 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 get this book, the better, because then we can talk about these ideas and we can use our own point of consciousness to inspire each other with new realizations. That's the thing. Like, if you're doing a class, for example, the yeah, there might be a limitation in, uh, you know, if you put this work out there." There is something different that is created with the interaction between you and the audience. I can put this information out there with this video and you could absorb it in a certain way and we could interact through the comments. But if you were to come and learn from me at a class or from any teacher in a class, there is some third element that is created. Even if we are discussing the same exact information, there is that third element of something new that is created between us when we, and this is true for when you're doing a reading as well. There is this third element, right? They, that's the daimon. That's the spirit that is animating all of this. And that's something that has really been uh, making me feel fired up about my understanding of the daimon. And I want to give a lot of credit to um, Kat, who has been doing a lot of work on the daimon recently. You should check her out, Kat Nelligan, who is the creative introvert on YouTube. And she's been doing some classes on the Diamond. And I think that she has a really great perspective and viewpoint on that as well. And I was a guest on her podcast. And I just wanted to um, direct all of you to her channel, because I think that she's been doing a lot of great work on the Diamond. And we had a really nice conversation about um, how to, you know, this third element that is created when we are in doing a reading and whatnot. So check her out. All right, so the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about is the I Ching. So I did do an I Ching reading for this, and I want to show you what I got here. I guess the last thing that we will discuss is this growth mentality. Um, hold on a second. I'm just drawing it on the screen for you. So a lot of the themes that I've been talking about are reflected in this hexagram. And I'm learning a lot more about the I Ching recently. I've been taking it upon myself to really dive into my understanding with this lately. I've been incorporating this into my practice a lot more in my, my daily note taking. Um, I pull a hexagram every day. And I really try to understand what the essence of this is. And 48 is called the well. And it is a combination of the trigrams, water on top of wood or wind. Okay, And then we are moving to the hexagram pushing upwards or advancement or growing upwards, which sounds very much like that sprout pushing through the earth, right? So <laughs> funnily enough, we have a trigram of earth on top of wood or wind. So 
I am, I am constantly in awe of the way that we um, see some of these themes reflected in the I Ching readings. So let's talk about hexagram 48, the well. So this talks about the well is the water uh, that is uh, on top of the logs that they used to use to make a, a well in ancient China. They would dig a well and they would have this wood that was, they would line the, the soil so that the soil wouldn't fall back into the well. So we've got this um, ever-present resource that we are drawing upon. Okay, so but, uh, Hillary Barrett, who has this great book, uh, I Ching, Walking Your Path, that was actually recommended to me by my astrology teacher, Achuta Bhavadas. He, he has some really great book recommendations as well. Um, it says, what is the ever-present resource that you draw from? What can you do to realize its potential? It says the well, the location may change, but not the source, nor is it ever depleted. So in this one, they talk about what, like in ancient China, they would move a city, but they couldn't move the well. So when you're establishing new territory, new dominion, you have to, to take your source with you, right? You have to dig down and find the source that is never depleted. Like the well can change, right? But we're always digging down to the water table. We're always having to establish and reestablish that source that we are going to be drawing upon. So this is talking about utilizing your inner resources, your inexhaustible spirit. And that is what is going to help you to move into this new territory. Even though you're establishing a new area, you're, you may be moving into a new project, into some kind, some kind of new territory that you want to do in your life. You got you to come from the heart. You got to come from your essential nature, your integrity. That will never leave you. No matter what physical area you are either leaving behind or moving into, you always have to establish that well in the city that is digging down into the core essence of what you are doing. And you're always tapping into your higher self, your inner self, whatever you want to call it, that, that spring, that wellspring, okay? You're tapping into the spring of that spiritual nature. Line number five, which is one of, an upper line, says the well, clear, cold spring water to drink. Okay, so this is saying that, that there is a resource that is available for you to, to, to drink now. There are other lines where it says the, well, the water is muddy and you have to clean it and things of that nature. Here, the water is, it's ready. It's ready for, you have a resource that you've been, you know, you've been lining this well over time. You've been purifying this water. You've been purifying your intention. It is go time. It is time to drink from that well and establish the, you know, your vital essence in whatever new project or whatever that you want to do. Okay. We have this, these beautiful sextiles between the sun and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn, it's time to establish a new way of thinking. You know, it's time to, to take the, the promise of that Jupiter-Saturn conjunction on the solstice and start taking action on it and building a new, more equitable society. And that comes from learning new ideas and, and you know, thinking about how you can use your spirit to move that forward. All right. So it says, uh, use your determination to benefit others. Drink the water. Use your spirit to take action. Okay. And this is what's going to sustain your growth over time. 
So if we move to hexagram number 46, this is called pushing upwards, advancement, growing upward. And here we see earth on top of the wood. So think about this. We've got the earth here. We've got the little seed and we are pushing upwards. We're being flexible to push through the surface and to spread their, our wings and spread our leaves of that new seedling, right? And it's coming from that seed down there, but it has to push its way upward. And it does have to be flexible. Like what if there had been a rock here, right? There's been an obstruction. You have to kind of maneuver your way around it to, to establish the root system. And you have to put the roots downward. While we're pushing upward, we are establishing a root system as well. Okay, so we have to have a network of supporters. We have to uh, work in tandem with people because if you don't have strong roots, you know, all this growth, this leggy growth up here will not be supported. All right. So don't forget the, the support system when you're ascending to the heights of your dreams. It says the seedling pushing upward through the ground, the center of the earth gives birth to wood. Hillary Barrett asks, is there something that you can commit yourself to? Where might it take you? What is the next step? So we're talking about a step-by-step -step patient ascent coming from your inner source of inspiration, coming from the well. So it talks about being flexible like that young seedling, finding your way in the new environment, being patient while always climbing to your goal. So you have to take those daily actions. You have to establish your foundation and you have to respect the natural process. You can't overwater a seedling. You can't like give it light 24 hours a day to make it grow faster. You need to give it some rest every once in a while. So we can't be pushing up towards our goal all the time without establishing periods of rest, without uh, establishing positive, healthy relationships with one another, and um, with, without respecting the time necessary for something to come into fruition. I know that as a gardener in the past, I have, uh, there's a few things that I've learned as a gardener, and this will be my final thoughts with this. First of all, you have to, uh, don't overwater it, right? Only water enough to allow the soil to, that only allow enough water that the soil can, can take up through the roots, or you will saturate the roots and you'll create rot, okay? Uh, number two, make sure that you have enough light, right? If you're trying to grow something in the dark and you're through the darkness of your ignorance and you aren't getting in touch with your awareness, your solar awareness, you know, you're going to have leggy growth. You won't have solid, stable growth. It's going to grow. It's going to try to reach for awareness, but it isn't going to be able to, to sustain it. So if you're, if you only have a small amount of awareness and a small amount of light and wisdom, the growth that you're going to create from that is not going to be sustainable over time. So you know, make sure that you are trying to get in touch with your inner light, your wisdom, uh, and that you have a bright light source that you are, you know, feeding the the plant that you are trying to grow. And I think the the third thing, and this is really important, when you're trying to establish a garden, you can't overplant it. That was the biggest mistake that I made when I was a young gardener, as I thought that uh, planting more seedlings would lead to a greater harvest. 
And that is absolutely not true because what happens is they start to crowd each other out. If you're planting too many things, then nothing can get the nutrients and the light that it needs. They start crowding each other out. They're competing for light. They're competing for resources. And, uh, and this may be true with like, you know, establishing our new territory. We have to find enough space to be able to create from our own uh, area, right? But, you know, if you're trying to do a project right now, this is, this is really, I think, the key with Mars and Gemini. You don't have to plant a million seedlings. Sometimes within a two square foot area of soil, if you have a bigger plant like a squash or something, you plant one, you know, you don't plant five things because they're going to choke each other out. And from that one seed that you planted and nurtured really, really well, you will have an abundance of, of squash that you will be able, that will be able to feed multiple families. Okay. I, I don't know about you, but if you plant a, um, a zucchini plant or something or, or a cucumber, sometimes you get more than you know what to do with. You're like, oh, I'm tired of cucumber. You, do you have enough to give away? And it's because you, you nurtured that one plant and you didn't plant a million little plants because, you know, it, it doesn't do as well. So I think that, you know, figure out what it is that you really want to nurture, give it the space to, to have, to be nurtured. And then it will grow into something beautiful that will, you will be able to share with others. Okay. All right, my friends, that is what I have for you today. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate all of you. Uh, if you are enjoying this channel, make sure you're subscribed. Hit the notification bell if you are uh, wanting to know when these videos come out. If you are subscribed to my newsletter, I've only been putting the newsletter out roughly once every seven to 10 days, and I've been creating videos at a pretty uh, rapid pace. So if you want to know in real time when these videos are coming out, make sure you're subscribed to the channel and hit the notification bell, even if you're subscribed to the newsletter. I will be giving out more discounts and more uh, updates on what I'm doing as far as teaching and all of those things in my newsletter. So it is important to be subscribed to that. But uh, here's another way to be in touch in real time. If you're enjoying the work that I do, uh, one thing you can do is hit the like button, leave me a comment, tell me how you're trying to push through the, the ground of your life and, and what seeds do you want to nurture going through this spring season. Uh, if you want to support the work that I do and support the uh, philosophical worldview that I am taking a risk by uh, propagating and, and disseminating and, and committing to, uh, you can support the work that I do by leaving me a tip or a donation at buymeacoffee.com. You can buy me the gift of oracular space to do this work. And you can stick it to the man. You could stick it to paywalls and you could stick it to membership models by uh, supporting uh, a, um, a donation model. So I appreciate all of you who have done that. You are uh, kind of supporting this, uh, hopefully what will eventually be a more egalitarian worldview if more people jump on the, on the, on the train so to speak. So thank you so much for that. I'm really appreciating all of your support and I will do my best to keep creating and creating and creating and creating. I'll just keep on coming. So uh, that's what I've got for you today. Be kind to one another, be kind to yourself, have patience with the process, and I'll see you the next time. Peace.